I'm Dr. John Tam, and welcome to the Career Change Advice Podcast. My definition of the good career is one that is aligned to who you are, whether it's clocking an 80-hour work week or having a job that just passes time so you can go home and spend it with your loved ones. I believe that a good career works for you and not the other way around. I promise to support you with every single episode with sound career advice for positive change, whether it's minor tweaks or a full-on career switch. Let's begin. Welcome back to my channel, the best place for ambitious millennial professionals who feel stuck in their careers to find their dream careers. In my last video, I talked about how Asian Americans need to discard the old playbook from the immigrant bargain and develop a new playbook to advance in their careers. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back to watch my last few videos on the bamboo ceiling to gain a better background of what the problems are and then come back here to find a solution to it. I'll put it in the cards above. Now, in this video, I'm going to discuss some ideas for the new playbook for Asian Americans to be successful in the corporate world in the West. A lot of this is drawn from the research of sociologists, psychologists, and organizational developmental people. And really, the last point is the key to everything. So make sure you subscribe and click the notification bell to receive regular updates on all things related to bringing a positive change to your career. Hi, I'm Dr. John Tam, and I'm passionate about helping ambitious millennial professionals build their dream careers. However, I'd like to preface in this video that there is no silver bullet to fix everything. It's going to take hard work and pivoting, but there are ways to make this easier and put yourself in a position to succeed. Before I get to my first point, the bottom line is to maximize trust across the board, as I've established in my previous videos. From the recent research of Margaret Chin's book called Stuck, to more established work like Riza Hazmat's Ethnic Penalty, to my own research on looking at emotions and solidarity, the bottom line for any form of relationship is trust. And all five ways to crack the bamboo ceiling in this video is about maximizing trust or putting yourself in a position to succeed, while also navigating work life as an Asian American. So without further ado, let's look at the five ways on how Asian Americans can break the bamboo ceiling. Point number one, focus on things within your control. First off, I'm not gonna dismiss everything to racism. I mean, racism definitely can be a factor, but the research of Riza Hazmath has shown that linguistic discrimination and racism cannot account for everything. There are some real in-group and out-group mechanisms at play here. Instead, I'd recommend everyone to approach it from a perspective of gratitude. Having lived internationally for over a decade, Asian Americans actually have it very nice in the West. So in short, I think there is a level of gratitude that needs to be expressed that the West is the best place in the world to make that climb if you're in a minority. Now this by no means justifies racism and discrimination. And the rest of the world really has a ways to catch up. But the bottom line is I am grateful and appreciative to the life in the West and the effort that has been put into fighting for equal treatment. And when I look at this, I really look at Steve Covey's three circles of control, influence, and concern. Some people are talking about fixing institutional racism or discrimination, but it's always much easier to fix things within your control rather than outside because you'll rarely be in a position of control to change a problem if climbing the corporate ladder is the type of problem that you're having. Finger pointing on discrimination isn't going to help much, especially if you're not in a position of power or if you're gonna cause a toxic environment in the workplace. So yes, unfortunately, implicit bias is a thing, 
But it also hasn't been necessarily proven that it determines behavior because of how the fast brain and slow brain action works. So if you're not sure what I'm talking about, check out the video which I'll put in the cards above about implicit bias and diversity in the workplace. I basically break down the neuroscience of implicit bias on how it really, yes, it does exist, but even the authors of the whole implicit association test acknowledge that it doesn't necessarily predict discriminatory behavior. So at the end of the day, when I talk about the three circles of control, influence, and concern, in tandem with gratitude, make sure you're qualified and skilled enough to climb that corporate ladder first. Chance always favors the prepared. Now my second point is this, once you're qualified and you actually have the hard skills or technical skills to complete the task, the next step really is to acquire social capital. Social capital in the workplace for Asian Americans would really be mentors or sponsors who are really willing to take you under their wing and guide you and show you the ropes on how to navigate the workplace environment. Remember, every workplace culture has their own peculiarities and their own idiosyncrasies. And to navigate that would really require an insider. Whether you're an Asian American or not, a mentor would always help in this process. A sponsor would also always help in this process. Furthermore, you want to build allies, and building allies would also mean taking people under your own wing, mentoring people, and helping them along, because who knows whether this person is going to flourish in another part of the company and eventually bring you along as well. So it's all about networks and building connections and real human relationships to foster that climb in the corporate environment. So definitely networking, social capital, and meaningful relationships would help. Now, once again, you got to remember, this is all under the premise that you are qualified for the job. You have everything that it takes to make that climb in the corporate ladder. My third point is to acquire cultural capital. And when I say cultural capital, I mean it is the shared capital of things that signal you are one of them. You belong in the leadership group. And so when we look at the classic research in sociology, there's Pierre Bourdieu where he released a book called Distinction, essentially looking at the elite class where there are certain signals that they do. For example, drinking red wine and being able to discuss the flavors and aromas of red wine and the tannins and all that stuff, right? All of that is part of learning class and learning the language and cultural scripts of the leadership group. And so if you want to signal that you are an insider and you want to build that trust, you should really develop the cultural capital so that you can signal that you are an insider. I'm not saying give up on your own culture. I'm saying learn more cultures so that you can at least appreciate and say that, hey, I understand what you're talking about. This is awesome stuff. In social psychology, we also talk about the presentation of self in everyday life, right? And this is based on the research of Irving Goffman, where there is always different signals that you want to send to people that you belong. And we have to take note that there are diverse industries and sectors that have different expectations for cultural capitals or signals. So you really need to pick the right ones. So what does that mean, right? In the high tech world, in certain areas of the world, for example, in Silicon Valley, there are certain traits that you can signal that you belong to the leadership group. On the other hand, if you are in the financial sector in New York, Wall Street, there are other aspects that you can signal that you belong to that leadership group. So you need to really pick the right ones and signal the right ones. But essentially, you also need to be mindful that the higher you go, the more competent people there are, and companies would typically, at that point, place a higher emphasis on trust. So for example, if there is a C-suite opening and the company really needs to choose one candidate out of 
perhaps 10, right? 10 really good candidates. It's actually very hard to tell at that point in terms of the hard skills, the big difference between two, because it's so specialized at that point. It, someone may be a seven or someone may be a 10. If you're not an expert in that field and you don't really have the time to evaluate that, it's actually very hard to tell the difference between a seven and a 10. On the other hand, it is much easier to tell whether, hey, I trust this guy or I trust this girl. And so therefore, people would always err on the side of caution and pick the person that they trust. Remember, the higher you go, the less the hard skills are like really the central point and focal point of what needs to be done. So soft skills and people skills increase in its importance. And the technical skills, while you know there's less emphasis on tactics and more emphasis on strategy, it's also the fact that there are so many competent people around to choose from that the real deal breaker is always the soft skills. And therefore, fundamentally, Asian Americans would struggle with that because of the reasons I discussed in previous videos. So really, at the end of the day, the emphasis is placed on trust. At the same time, I would advise against throwing away your Asian Americanness to fully embrace, you know, whatever form of leadership you have at the top because it is your unique selling proposition, right? Your USP. And at the end of the day, you do want to let people know that you don't want to compromise on your Asian Americanness and you are comfortable on your own skin. Because if you try to be like them, you'll always conform and that's really not leadership. In fact, you signal the exact opposite. You're giving up everything to be like them and that's not taking a stand. So really, if you've been able to preserve your ethnic language and culture, there is something to leverage in an increasingly globalizing world as a cultural broker. China, India, Korea, Japan, Singapore have obviously arrived at the world stage as economic powers, but countries like Thailand, Vietnam, and Pakistan, and many others are also on the rise as well. So remember, we are no longer at a point where every country is really insular. Trade has gone global, and therefore, every company that has their eyes on international markets would need cultural brokers. And this is an amazing opportunity for Asian Americans to embrace. What do you think about the idea of leveraging your ethnicity as a cultural broker? Let me know in the comments below. My fourth point is you need to learn the key soft skills. And soft skills is defined as personal management skills or people skills, right? And essentially when we're talking about soft skills, I have a whole playlist up here. I'm not gonna dive too much into it, but personality plays a huge part in it. Where you really want to leverage your strengths and cover your blind spots. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, take a free personality test in the links below where you'll learn the big five personality traits and how it fits to you and your career. And by understanding where your personality is situated relative to everyone else, what you can then do is learn how to leverage your strengths and cover your blind spots. So for example, if you are extroverted, one typical strength of an extrovert is that they're very sociable, they're very action oriented, and that they can handle being with people all the time. On the other hand though, if you are in a job that requires you to sit down, sit still, and do very introverted work, then maybe you're not actually putting yourself in a position to succeed. So at that point, there's only really two options, right? You can either choose to compensate, which is to really change the nature of your work and do less introverted work. So try, trying to change the nature of what you do, or you could learn to develop and build introverted strengths so that you can flip on that introverted battery and do introverted work despite being a natural extrovert. There are a lot of people who do that in the world. There are many famous introverts who have learned to be extroverted and there are many famous extroverts who learned to sit down and be still and do introverted work, right? So introversion and extroversion is only an example. There's also the acronym OCEAN, which stands for openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, which are all part of the big five personality traits, which is the gold standard for academic research on personality science. 
And so when we're talking about soft skills then, we need to understand you need to leverage your strengths and cover your blind spots. And as you climb the higher rungs of the corporate ladder, there's really only two options, right? You can either develop as a leader or develop as a specialist. When you develop as a leader, you start managing people and deal with more people. If you develop as a specialist, then you deal more with the subject matter and the content that you're constantly developing and building. And so typically these are two paths. A lot of companies actually have a lot of routes for management, which is allowing you to become a manager and a leader, but not a lot of companies actually have specialty roles. So just be very mindful of that, that, hey, sometimes if you are about leveraging your soft skills and matching the job to what you do, you need to find the right fit. But given most corporate environments have advancement opportunities for leadership, then essentially you need to learn the key signals on how to be a leader. So the presentation of self, the etiquette, the body language. And there's also elephant in the room problems that you know no one talks about but everyone recognizes such as accents or your odor or the amount of oil in your hair, like basically the presentation of self and fitting the workplace culture. Also, there's communication skills such as self-advocacy and being aware that there are times where there's bragging and there are times where you are advocating for yourself and being able to stand firm and advocate for yourself. But essentially, the higher you go, the more important soft skills and leadership skills become. And so you need to be aware of that. Personality plays a big role. The fifth and final point is to put yourself in a position to succeed. Like I said, a lot of companies have the leadership route, but not necessarily have the specialist route. And also every workplace culture is different. Some cultures are more multicultural friendly and some are less, right? Essentially, you can't break through a bamboo ceiling that's made out of cement. You really need to differentiate the two. So finding the right place to succeed is important. So how do you identify the right places to succeed then? There are indications of a good workplace culture for Asian Americans to break through. And here are some indicators. Number one, there are broad pipeline programs. With broad pipeline programs, it allows for more individuals to have opportunities to advance. So that is often a good identifier of whether a workplace is Asian American friendly or not. Another thing is whether that place incentivizes peer effects to broaden trust in the long run to benefit the bottom line. So workplace cultures that allow for the flow of information and the flow of the network and for people to understand one another. Also workplace cultures that allows for functional switches. So recently I was talking to a recruiter that was working at Amazon for a while. And one of the things that she told me about Amazon's really good at is yeah, there are a lot of gatekeepers to make sure that people, you know, if there's a high bar for people to hop over in order to get into Amazon. But once you're inside, there are a lot of opportunities for people to really develop their careers and really functionally discover, you know, where is their best spot. And so by having a company culture that supports this type of latitude, that supports this type of internal movement, and that supports this type of networking and relationship building, it's actually really good for Asian Americans to break through. Another sign of a good workplace culture for Asian Americans to break through is a culture that has a non-patronizing and non-commodifying way of working with minorities, right? There's a lot of institutions that care about face work to the world and that a lot of these places would include token individuals of minorities. And nowadays we have NASDAQ that's beginning to impose uh, workplace diversity quotas on different companies if they are to be listed on their index. So there are a lot of things that's happening right now in the workplace. So when I think about top-down imposed 
diversity quotas, there's also the risk of the token individual or ways for companies to finagle their way through the quota. So at the end of the day, I really have mixed feelings about this, but finding that company culture that's not patronizing, that's not commodifying to minorities, one of the things that you can do is to look at the website, to read its publications, to talk to its HR, to talk to its employees, to get a better understanding whether that workplace culture is a good place for an Asian American to advance or not. And another good indicator is that there are places where there are not rotating doors of diversity officers, right? Because oftentimes, yes, people love diversity officers when they first come in because it's an important initiative and they need to pay attention to it. But after a while, once these diversity officers, you know, start implementing their policies, they often get shelved because it becomes inconvenient for the company. So be mindful of that as well. And my last point is really to work on your weak ties. A lot about weak ties in the past in my playlist on information interviews, so I'll put it in the cards above. But essentially, you need to find the right company because, you know, weak ties are networks that you don't see very often, you don't share the same social circle, and therefore they're much more likely to know things that are outside of your immediate circle's knowledge, right? And therefore, by working on the weak ties, you're much more able to uncover new opportunities rather than relying on strong ties who you constantly see. This is also becoming increasingly important because companies are now trending towards hiring laterally rather than promoting internally, which strengthens the network effect where people really do prefer to hire those who are similar to themselves. So networking is becoming increasingly important. Now, mind you, it's also sector dependent because some big tech companies, they get so flooded with network and informational interview requests for you know to, for people to network their way into jobs that you know they're now shutting the gates and it's like you know people don't even want to talk to random people who are reaching out to pick their brain or have a cup of coffee right so you got to be mindful that it works for some industries but it doesn't work for some others so i want to conclude with a short discussion on racism and there may be situations where you may need to speak up on racism or unjust situations but there may be severe consequences by doing that in the workplace and for that i really have no good answer because that's really the predicament of working in a world where an individual is a minority. And this situation may be completely different if you're working in an Asian country, if you're an Asian American, but that also comes with unique challenges in itself. So nowadays there's a huge emphasis that's placed on call-out culture, which involves public shaming, public canceling, um, that really introduces a toxic environment of mistrust and environment. And so like I said numerous times in this video, if you want to climb the corporate ladder, trust is essential. But calling out isn't necessarily conducive to trust because it actually introduces an environment of mistrust. So Professor Loretta Ross at Smith College actually recommends an approach called calling in, which I personally find to be much better as an alternative, which means anything from taking a long breath before replying on Slack to calling someone and respectfully sharing how you feel about your experience of racism or discrimination or to asking the personnel for coffee and discussing or sharing your perspective from a position of empathy and compassion. Dr. Ross says, you can't be responsible for someone's inability to grow. So take comfort in the fact that you have offered a new perspective of information and you did so with love and respect and then you walk away. And she adds that there is a saying that some people you can work with and some people you can work around. But the thing that she really wants to emphasize is that the calling in practice means that you always keep a seat at the table for the individual if they decide to come back. And at the end of the day, there really is no silver bullet for a difficult situation such as the bamboo ceiling. My recommendation is to focus on what's possible within your own capacity. And essentially, you can't change a system as an individual, but you can leverage other strengths, such as your cultural background, your academic achievements, and the rising role of Asia in the world stage. So a large part of success is putting yourself in a position to succeed. 
And if you're not sure what that is, I highly recommend you to check out my free training on how to find your dream career and the importance of having an alignment. Also, remember to check out my free Big Five personality test to identify the best workplace traits for you. Make sure to join my Facebook group, Career Change Advice, to be in a community of people who are interested in making their careers work for them rather than the other way around. In my next video, I'm going to focus on the topic of underemployment and its close cousins, overqualification and overeducation, and why a lot of ethnic minorities and immigrants end up being underemployed. So make sure you subscribe and click the notification bell for updates for when it comes out. Also, leave a comment below and let me know your thoughts about this video. Don't forget to give it a like and share it with your network if you found this to be valuable. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it with others who want their careers to work for them. Congrats for showing up and being your own career advocate today. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.